Game seven, eight seconds left, home team down by one. Oh, the home team strips the ball and the point guard is all alone. But it appears that there's a wet spot on the free throw line. The fans go silent. Their championship aspirations flash before their eyes. Wait, someone's running out on the court. Oh my, it's the towel boy. How did he clean it so fast? The point guard takes off and dunks the ball. Game over, the crowd erupts. Towel boy, towel boy. Thank you, everybody, for another striking standing ovation. My name is Andy. And I'm Landon. And we are the Towel Boys. Welcome to our 13th podcast, where we are going to be breaking down the NBA playoff bracket and giving you all of our predictions throughout the whole postseason. The Portland Trailblazers just beat the Memphis Grizzlies and are now locked into the 8th seed, and they will be playing the Los Angeles Lakers, and that completes the playoff bracket. Let's get right down to it. Eastern Conference, Landon, Bucks Magic. Bucks in four. Easy money. That's a sweep. Uh, there's literally nothing to talk about here. If Jonathan Isaac was healthy, it would maybe go five. But, man, Giannis in this series is just going to beast. They have no interior presence to deter his easy paint points and that's just going to cause problems for breaking down defenses kicking out the shooters there's no chance let's (laughs) let's move on to the next because uh not much going on here this is the biggest mismatch of the first round Giannis is going to eat Vucevic is not a good defensive center he can't really guard him I guess the best guy now they could throw at Giannis is an Aaron Gordon even Mo Bamba left the bubble hopefully he's okay I know there's some post-coronavirus stuff going on with him. There's just nobody who can guard Giannis. And I actually, my prediction is the Bucks win in five, simply because one of my towel boy takes of the day was that no team is sweeping, and I'm going to stick by that. Maybe the Bucks have an off game. Maybe Giannis gets in foul trouble. It's hard to sweep. Teams have pride. They want to win. The Magic are really bad, though. I wouldn't be surprised if it goes four at all. Yeah, people, I saw that graphic that had the best Giannis defenders. Aaron Gordon was on there as a (laughs) mid-tier Giannis defender. (laughs) I know, so people are going to throw that out at us probably and be like, it's not going to be that short. They have a Giannis stopper. Like, playoff Giannis against Aaron Gordon is going to be one of the most dominant forces we're ever going to see. It's going to be unfair. So I, I wouldn't really look at those specific regular season statistics against Aaron Gordon as holding much merit once the playoffs come around. And I think I have some sort of last postseason bias towards the Magic because they did take game one off the Raptors. And then the Raptors woke up. I don't think they would take game one off the Bucks. The Bucks are usually rolling ready to roll over bad teams, but I give the Magic one game. Maybe, you know, Evan Fournier or DJ Augustine puts up a 30 bomb. You never know. But, yeah, the Bucks are not going to struggle with the series at all. Let's move on to the next series. Raptors-Nets. I have a surprising take here. For all of you who listened to Andy and I's last pod where we debated the Nets as a bubble team pretty heavily, Uh, I basically was saying that they were not the most impressive bubble team the Phoenix Suns were, and I still hold true to that prediction. The Suns went 8-0. There was no way to be more impressive than they were. But the Nets definitely were impressive in general, and they showed it right down to the wire when they almost eliminated Damian Lillard and the Portland Trailblazers from playoff contention. And 
I think this squad without four of their probably five best players looks really put together. And their head coach is doing a fantastic job with this unit, basically giving the ball to Karis LeVert and letting him do whatever he wants. He's been really efficient, done some crazy, put up some crazy stat lines in the bubble. And I, I mean, his bag runs deep, man. He's gonna, he's gonna get his against the Raptors. I'm gonna say Raptors in six. Um, part of that is due to the Raptors' lack of offensive efficiency. I've seen them go, go through some nasty droughts offensively in the bubble season, and I don't really think that's going to change that much. They just get into some bad rhythms sometimes where Van Vliet and Lowry are just jacking up threes off of picks. And I don't know. I, I could see the Nets getting a couple of games here, especially with Joe Harris shooting as as hot as it has been. They They have a lot of pieces that could be pretty effective against the Raptors. And you know I'm the biggest Nets fan from that argument. By the way, the Suns were the best team in the bubble. I still hold true to what I said, that the Nets were the most impressive team because everybody being out and what they did. We're not going to get into that again. I I can't see, and I am a huge proponent of the Nets, I cannot see two games. I say the Raptors win in five. The Nets played really well against the Blazers. And what I saw was that they were hitting a lot of shots and getting a lot of offensive rebounds against an undisciplined Blazers team. The Raptors are the complete opposite, potentially the most disciplined team in the NBA. Nick Nurse is a top three coach right now. Kyle Lowry, Fred Van Vliet, Pascal, Ananobi, they have fantastic defenders. There's way more. I cannot yeah. see the Nets scoring on this Raptors team enough, and I think the Nets defensively aren't good enough to contain a Raptors team that, while they may struggle at times, still going to figure it out against the Brooklyn Nets. Now, I understand that, and listen, picking the Raptors in six and not four or five is clearly a little crazy, you know, unorthodox. But crazy. what I will say is I am not a big Pascal Siakam guy. And when I'm looking at him against some Eastern Conference competitors of recent, he went, let's see, he shot 35.7% against the Sixers with 15 points, right? Move on to Milwaukee, 31.2% with 14 points. And then Boston, 33.3%, 11 points. But so those are madly inefficient numbers against some stout defenses and no the nets are not going to be like nearly to the same level as those teams but jared allen is a good interior presence and pascal's three-point isn't very reliable he's gonna struggle to get some shots up against this nets team i just have a feeling the the problem with that is that marcus and Serge Ibaka are going to stretch the floor Jared Allen won't be sitting in the paint like he does against, like, let's say, the Trailblazers last game with Nurkic. Nurkic is mainly an interior presence, even though he can shoot threes. He actually looked really good from the from the arc outside the arc today. But if they draw him out, I just can't see anybody else stopping Siakam from driving or Kyle Lowry from getting his 13 foul calls a game or Fred Van Vliet from, from being crafty. I just I don't see enough defenders there to slow the Raptors down. And I think the Raptors get some of their offensive woes fixed and, and really better off after this year. I think they're going to, they're going to be fine. 
Yeah, I I understand where you're coming from. Uh, I just, like I said, I'm not the biggest Pascal guy. It's not that I don't like him. He seems like a great dude. It's just, I, I read a tweet the other day that said he's a lot more raw of an offensive talent than people like to acknowledge. And I think that's a really good way to put it because yes, he is skilled, but he hasn't put all of his different moves together yet to form like a consistent offensive blend. A lot of it looks very choppy at times, and I think he's going to get a lot better over the next two or three years, but right now he is not a reliable number one option from a jump shooting perspective. And I agree. I still don't find that to be a problem in this series, but that might change when we talk about next series. But let's move on. Next series is probably the most interesting series of the first round. I, I know a lot of people love heat pacers but the Celtics 76ers the 76ers while they did lose Ben Simmons Joel Embiid is going to be a problem for those Celtics big men yeah he's gonna smoke them honestly I mean you throw Tice at him Tice is 6'8 Embiid's gonna body him every time he all he has to do is just do his little post hook moves over and when you throw Cantor on him everybody knows Cantor's a really bad defender when he's standing in the post, he can't guard any pick and roll. So if they run that action with like even Shake Milton and Joel Embiid, look for them to pick on Cantor if he ever makes the floor. Um, Time Lord Robert Williams, I know Boston fans love him. I've been watching him lately and he does look really good. I, I still don't think he's going to be able to guard Joel Embiid. The Celtics don't have an answer for him. He's not going to play very much either. He's still a couple of years he's out. He's still young. He's still young, exactly. So... Tice and Cantor on Joel Embiid. I mean, he's going to get six fouls on both of them in the first half. I, d I don't know what the answer is for, for Joel. So I have Celtics and six. The Celtics are winning this series, but it's going to be a brutal battle on the boards and inside just dealing with Joel. I don't think like you can necessarily win a series against an elite team like Boston playing 60s basketball with just a big man dominating. Uh, it would be really interesting to see Joel Embiid's dominance lead to a series win, but I I, I don't really think that's actually going to happen. Celtics in six. Yeah, and when you look at the series, it's it really is a lot of guards and smaller forwards on the Celtics who can isolate and score against a lot of big men in the Sixers who are just going to pound the ball in the paint. Joel Embiid is obviously the number one interior presence in that series and really in the Eastern Conference if you're excluding Giannis just because Giannis does everything. So you have Embiid there and then you have Al Horford who probably is going to start alongside him who Horford's a true center playing a four. He's still a big man. He's going to get boards and he, he could post up whoever's at the four for the Celtics. And then you have Tobias Harris who's another big bodied three. He's what six eight, six nine. He can grab boards. He's He's more of a rebounder than a passer. So this is a really big Sixers team. But losing Ben Simmons to me is a really big problem because I, even if Embiid dominates, I don't, I would not fear this team if I'm the Celtics. Yes, Embiid might put up 35 and 15 and average that in the whole series. That's if he stays healthy, which is a completely another, just a completely different story. But Embiid dominating to me still isn't enough to take two games. The Celtics have a lot of scores. They play great team basketball. They're disciplined. They have great coaching. And I just see a series where Tatum and Jalen Brown 
yes, Philly has some good perimeter defenders in Richardson and, and Tybal and some other guys, but I still don't see that really bothering the Celtics team. That's why I wish Simmons was healthy for the series, because imagine them throwing out a lineup of Simmons, Richardson, and Tybul all out there at the same time to put on Jalen, Jason, and like Kemba. I mean, I can't think of a better trio of guys in the league to throw at the Celtics perimeter guys. Like, like yeah, that's I, pretty elite stuff. The With Ben Simmons, this could have been a seven-game series. I really for sure. Think it and it could have gone either way at that. Philly could have upset them, yes. Now I'd put it at 0% chance. Before, I still wouldn't have had Philly with a great chance of winning. But yeah, if I didn't say it, Celtics in five. They'll take I, a game. Yeah, that's, but, that's reasonable. Yeah. Yep. Let's move on to the Jimmy Butler, TJ Warren series. Um, Not Pace- Heat versus Pacers. <laughs> <laughs> well, everybody cares about that storyline. But yes, the Heat and the Pacers, the Heat look really, the Heat look pretty good. The Pacers looked pretty good. Not against the Heat per se in their first game, but what do you what do you got in this series? So I tweeted out the other day from the Towel Boys account. I think a fully healthy Pacers team is really, really dangerous to every East team. Because with Sabonis, they have pretty much everything you could ask for. They have an interior presence that just dominates on the boards and dribble handoffs, like you know, setting screens in Sabonis. And then you have Miles Turner stretching the floor to free up space for Sabonis and for people to drive. Um, They got great uh, perimeter players in Oladipo, who is a sick defender, as well as a good create-your-own-shot guy. And Brogdon has proven to be a borderline all-star. And that's not even mentioning TJ Warren, who, although he broke out in the bubble season to... 40 and 50 point games he's had a super efficient year and is vastly underrated so when you combine all that together you get a really good team but Sabonis is the focal point of that he was one of the leading NBA assist men as a big man and without him their offense looks really clunky and based on the Heat's shooting success they're the best three-point shooting team in the league thanks largely to Duncan Robinson uh, I don't see the Pacers having the offensive firepower to keep up. Yeah. You said Heat and how many? I got Heat and five. This series wouldn't necessarily come down to these two Pacers players I'm thinking of, but it's going to make a big difference. TJ Warren, to me, is going to be good, not amazing. I actually don't think he's this huge swing factor like some other people say i think he'll average somewhere between 18 and 20 in the series shooting under 50 percent which is still very good but i i don't envision tj warren being one ex- extreme or the other rogdon's going to be solid miles turner is going to do his thing for me it comes down to the health of victor oladipo and how he looks and especially how his shooting looks and justin holiday justin holiday is a really good shooter a really good bench piece, and had some success against the Heat in both games. If he's scoring off the bench, that significantly boosts that Pacers bench. Because let's remember, this Heat bench is deadly. Whether it's Drogic or Hero coming off the bench, they have a really good scorer. They have a guy in Andre Iguodala with great veteran experience. Kelly Olenek is a different animal in the bubble. (laughs) So, Bubble Olenek. The Heat look really good right now. 
and they have a great shooting team, like you said, and Jimmy and Bam, of course, are great two-way stars. It's going to come down to those two Pacers guys to see if the series can go seven or potentially a Pacers upset could happen. Seven? I have the Heat. I have the Heat in six. The Pacers are yeah. a good team. They don't have the firepower. They're going to take a couple of games because they play really good team basketball. In the end, it's going to come down to Jimmy Butler taking over the series. Not opposed to six at all. I understand where you're coming from there, and I almost went six. I would lean far toward five over seven without Sabonis. I don't disagree, but if you did have Oladipo looking like healthy Oladipo and a guy like Justin Holiday balling, I could see it going seven. Potentially. We'll see. It, Oladipo doesn't even look that motivated to me. <laughs> like, it's not even a matter of, of you know, old well, if Oladipo. His, if it's his a shots are of, falling. Is Oladipo going to try? If Oladipo is hot shooting-wise, then he has a lot more room to drive, and he is a different player. So we'll see. For sure. For sure. Well, we'll see, though. I agree. So next up, let's move to the second round of the Eastern Conference. We have... Both of us have the Milwaukee Bucks facing up against the Miami Heat. Landon, go ahead. <laughs> why Why you sound so tentative letting me go? You scared I'm going to say something stupid? That happens probably three times a podcast. This might that's, be time one. We'll see. That's fair. I, I think you're <laughs> going to think it is time one. But honestly, I'm not alone when I say Heat in seven. I heard a lot of national media guys starting to come on the on the heat train. They are starting to see, you know, what heat fans are seeing, like myself and like Andy with this team, which is they are very deep. The mentality of the organization, the head coach, Pat Riley, Jimmy Butler, has it's all aligned. Bam Adebayo as well, the second all-star on the team. And that you know, the culture is real. Uh, you you listen to Rachel Nichols sit down with Jimmy Butler the other day, and Jimmy says that they can win the championship this year, and she laughed at him. Everybody laughed at him. I wasn't really laughing. I'm not predicting the Heat to win the championship by any means. What I am saying is that with the shooting that they have, anything is possible because it's a make-or-miss league, and I said this on a pod before, they make a lot of shots. The Miami Heat are a really good team. And the Miami Heat are the worst matchup for the Bucks. The Bucks did not want to see the Heat in the second round. They would have rather have seen, much rather have seen a Pacers team or a Sixers team. But if this holds true, our first round predictions, it's going to be the Heat and the Bucks. And Bam Adebayo, even though everybody, everybody, of course, admires Giannis, thinks he's potentially the best player in the league, an unstoppable force. But let's remember last postseason. I know it's Kawhi Leonard, and I know it's the Raptors, and now we know it's Nick Nurse. He was shut down, and he did not look good. He looked sloppy. They forced him to shoot, and Giannis is a guy who has a lot of confidence. I'm not saying he shouldn't shoot at all, but he takes too many threes at times, and he'll settle if the paint's clogged. He's going to get his shots up. Bam Adebayo can do a really good job of keeping him out of the paint. And to me, the biggest factor in this series is going to be whether or not Giannis or Bam is in foul trouble or neither. The refs are, it's, it's that simple because Giannis is going to drive a lot, and the refs have been calling a lot of offensive fouls against him, but the playoffs are different. Superstars get their ways in the playoffs normally. We're going to see if Bam, Bam has been in foul trouble a couple of times in the bubble lately. 
a little scary. I know he's still working his way back into shape, but you never know how the calls are going to go. Well, one thing thing that is important to mention is that now that he's playing center in the starting lineup as opposed to power forward, he's absorbing the big man fouls that Myers Leonard was taking for him before that would allow him to play prolonged stretches without fouls. Now he's absorbing those, and it's a little dangerous. You could see... You can see it's affecting his game. Yeah, it's and when Bam's in foul trouble, we'll tell you as Heat fans, this Miami Heat team is a lot, lot worse. So that would be if Bam was that will that foul, yeah that will cause the Bucks to win in five. If Bam, yeah, if agree. Giannis can get Bam consistently in foul trouble, it's a done deal because yeah. they need him on the court for forty-two minutes a game. And I, I don't think it's going to be consistently one or the other in foul trouble. I have the series going seven, super close series. The Bucks have a lot of shooters. This will be one kind of, of the best shoot. series in the entire playoffs. Yeah. The Heat are going to switch it up, playing zone, playing man. They're going to make the Bucks shoot. The Bucks are going to miss a lot of shots. They're going to hit some and get hot. I have the Bucks in seven, even though at the end of the day, I don't necessarily trust Giannis with the ball with 30 seconds left. I trust Chris Middleton. He's a good shooter, and I trust him to hit shots. And I like this Bucks yeah, team. Yeah, I, I understand that. But Middleton's underrated. He he is Bucks and seven. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Middleton isn't is you can't really call him an X factor because he is an all star. But in terms of the biggest swing performance in this series, I think it is Middleton stepping up and just you know going ballistic on whoever is guarding him because he might have some very favorable matchups. Whether it's Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero, Kendrick Nunn at times on switches. He's going to get some of those, and if he takes advantage, like I said, the Bucs can win this in five. I am by no means saying that the Heat are 100% winning in seven. I think, personally, that they will win in seven, but if somebody said Bucks in five, I'm not going to call them crazy. And let's remember that Jimmy Butler is probably going to be assigned with Chris Middleton at the end of games, which is a favorable matchup for Miami. But Chris Middleton can shoot the ball, and he can shoot it over anybody. Really, he's he's got the length. He's he's got some long arms who can who can release the ball high. And who's to say that? I know it's Jimmy Butler, but Chris Middleton can still get those shots off. So for me, the the Bucks are going to rely a lot on Eric Bledsoe, and if Bledsoe looks healthy, that's going to make this team even better because he's an elite defender. Yeah, so, yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. Eric Bledsoe. He's another one where he's had some pretty rough playoff performances in the past, and his failures in the series could cause, you know, Absolutely. it could swing the the series in the other direction. So there, there are definitely some major performances to watch out for from some of the biggest players in this series. Yeah. And now let's go on to what I believe is the tightest series of the whole playoffs. Raptors-Celtics, I, I have flipped back and forth on this series maybe five or six times in the last two weeks. Me too. You have incredible coaching on both sides. I know a lot of people wouldn't categorize Brad Stevens' coaching as incredible, and to those people I say, shut your mouth. He's a phenomenal offensive and defensive coach. He puts out great schemes, and I know he hasn't been that far with the Celtics team, but they're young, and they're going to get far, and they're going to be really good. Cut, Cut the shit with that. I believe the Celtics have been top five in both offensive and defensive rating in the bubble. That doesn't matter that much because of all the garbage time that was played in the bubble. 
But my point is, they're bringing the intensity in the playoffs, and I think they're going to be really good. With that being said, the Raptors, God, their length on defense is unbelievable. And because of the Celtics ISO players, I think one way to really mess with them is to throw guys like OG and Pascal on like the Celtics ISO guys and make them really work for their ISO points, which is going to get super tiresome for all of their guys really fast. What I would say to the Celtics is move the ball a lot, get a little bit out of the ISO rhythm and try to create shots for your other guys. Gordon Hayward is a great mid-range shooter, and if they could get him some possessions in the pick and roll where he's pulling up from there, from the elbow, I think they're in good shape. But I, I think the Raptors are going to throw them out of rhythm a little bit. I got Raptors in seven in, like you said, one of the closest series in the entire playoffs. And to your point on Gordon Hayward, Gordon Hayward has been really good. He looks he looks good. He's efficient. He's smart. He plays good defense. He's still athletic. I know he had a brutal injury, but this guy has hops. He can dunk. So Gordon Hayward's going to be an important piece for them. And to me, the biggest factor for the Celtics throughout their whole playoff run is going to be Kemba Walker. Because Kemba, he's coming back from injury. I understand. He's an offensive nightmare still for other defenses. But he can't guard anybody. And even Kyle Lowry would just draw fouls and, and drive on Kemba. I'm worried about Kemba at the end of games, and I don't know if the Celtics can have him out there with a minute left. They already have enough offensive weapons because Tatum and Brown can isolate. But, I mean, why would you not have Marcus Smart out there? Yeah, I, I agree with you. you. You need to have Marcus Smart out there on closing possessions for the defense. And because you have so many other guys who can create their own shot, you're not losing too much on offense. But I will say... In that Celtics heat game during the bubble season, uh, Kemba really hit some clutch shots down the down the line there. And they kind of need his offense, you know, in those last few possessions. So that's an interesting offense-defense trade that Brad is going to have to struggle with. Yeah, and I, to me, the this series, because you have the most disciplined team in the bubble and in the NBA, because that's basically the NBA, with the Toronto Raptors. But then you have these isolation threats in Tatum and Brown who low-key have a lot of playoff experience and they've been there and they've lost and I mean I'm sure they're sick and tired of it so at the end of games with 30 seconds left in a tie game I trust Tatum more than I trust anybody else in the Raptors and Siakam's really good but I don't trust him to hit shots and Kyle Lowry was super clutch last year it's Kyle Lowry though it's not Kawhi Leonard same thing with Fred Van Vliet he looked really good but the Celtics have a lot of good perimeter defenders, and Marcus Smart being on Fred VanVleet or Kyle Lowry is not a good matchup for the Raptors. So I have the Celtics in a really close Game 7. I think every game is going to be close. We are not going to see a Celtics blowout like we saw in the bubble games. These teams just fight too much to let that happen. Yeah, I agree. The bubble games should be taken with a grain of salt because there was a ton of garbage time. Guys weren't necessarily trying their hardest, and... You know, you're going to see some trends that are definitely worth taking note of, but I wouldn't look at general team statistics or general team performance as necessarily the end-all be-all when you're judging future playoff performance. But I have Raptors in seven, you have Celtics in seven. Let's move on to the Eastern Conference Finals. I have Heat versus Raptors. 
Let me just preface this with, if this was Heat versus Celtics, I would have Celtics in six. Heat versus Raptors, I have Heat in seven. I think the Heat match up really well with the Raptors. They're both gritty teams. This is another series for the Heat that can go either way. I have picked the Heat through all this. I'm picking them to go to the finals. I think Jimmy Butler is tired of being treated the way that he has been over the past few years as a tier B superstar, as a guy who can't carry a team. And I don't know. I If he is ever going to show that he can be the alpha on a finals team, it is this year. He certainly believes in himself, and his confidence is pretty overwhelming. I trust him to get the win versus the Raptors, like I said. Celtics, no, but with all the shooting that the Heat have and the offensive lulls that the Raptors go through, this is another instance of, I think, the firepower of the Heat with Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero, Jay Crowder, Kelly Olenek, Goran Dragic, just all of these 37% plus three-point shooters. I think it's going to be too much for him. But like I said, it could go either way. So you have Heat in seven? You said Heat in seven. Yeah, seven, seven. Seven? Yeah. So I have the Bucks Celtics, and on paper, this is a great matchup for Giannis. He can eat, eat, and eat. But he dominated in that bubble game, and they still barely won. I'm a little concerned about the Bucks against the Celtics because I don't trust the Bucks role players nearly as much as the four or five isolation guys the Celtics have. The Celtics are a really well-put-together team, and they're going to figure out how they can kind of contain Giannis, whether it's semi- Jalen Brown or Tatum and I know these aren't scary matchups necessarily but if Giannis if the refs are going to continue to call fouls on Giannis like they have been why why would the Celtics fear a team with Giannis playing 35 minutes instead of 42 I I don't see it the Bucks are a really good team but I really like the Celtics team this year I like Daniel Tice I think he's going to hold his own against a guy like Brooke Lopez I know there's a size mismatch, and I know the Bucks are a lot bigger. Giant than the size team, mismatch. But I, I like the Celtics team. They have a lot of shooters. They have a lot of defense, and they have experience. And I trust Jason Tatum at the end of games. I think he's going to step up. I have the Celtics in seven. At the end of game seven in a Boston-Milwaukee series, I might trust Jason Tatum more than Chris Middleton taking shots. I have the Celtics in seven. Celtics go to the finals. Fair enough. And let me just end the Eastern Conference by saying, I think the top four seeds are very matchup dependent. I think if the Heat field the Bucks or the Raptors, they will go to the finals. I think if they field the Celtics in the Eastern Conference finals, I they're, they're not getting past the Celtics in my personal opinion. If you look at the Bucks, I don't think they get past the Heat. I think they beat both the Raptors, I think, and the Celtics. And then if you're looking at the Celtics, great matchup for the Heat. I don't think they match up well with the Raptors and and the Bucks. Like I was saying before, like they're just not big enough. So when I'm looking at all these matchups, it's just so dependent on who they play and who comes out of their independent brackets. So uh, I think the East is interesting from that dynamic. Yep. So you have the Miami Heat. Going to the NBA Finals, and I have I the said Boston that, Celtics. Yep, and I said that two months ago, and I know people probably won't take that seriously, but, you know, 
uh, I think they have the offensive weaponry to do it. And that is the main point that I'm going off of and why I truly believe it. I'm not just saying that as a fan. I think they have the tools to get there. And let me state that neither one of us have a one or a two seed going. And I forget the statistic, but I think it's like 10 of the last 11 or something where it's either the one or the two seed going. So unique situation this year. This is yeah, different. no, the bubble's weird, and you have four East teams that realistically, I think it's more three, and the Heat have more of an outside shot, but the Heat still have some sort of a chance to get to the finals in my mind. So there's four teams that can get there, and we both have different teams, and we will see what happens. I hope you are right, though. So let's move on to the Lakers against the red-hot Portland Trailblazers. Yeah, uh, Dame time is real. He's come up big every single game in the bubble and in the play-in tournament today. He just, his scoring is overwhelming. It's like watching James Harden out there, except a a better three-point shooter, honestly. Like, I I think Damian Lillard has reached the scoring potential of James Harden in this bubble. And uh, he can will his team to victory right, right now like nobody else. It's pretty unreal. It's all on offense. Well, you know, he has come up with some clutch steals recently as well, so I don't even know if I should be saying that. He's just making winning basketball plays all over the court. He really is. So, yeah, and I mean, I would go as far as to say the Blazers have the two most clutch players in the bubble so far. In Bubble Mello, he's hit pretty much a big corner three in every close game that they've played. So between the two of them firing on all cylinders, Gary Trent Jr. being the surprise of the bubble for me, I had never even heard of this guy. And all of a sudden he comes out here hitting every three he takes and guarding like the best player on the other team, stripping the ball every time they try to drive, like just playing stout defense. And Yusuf Nurkic looks like a freaking all-star. He just put up like 20-20 today. It's unbelievable. The Blazers look great. With all of that being said, they don't have a guy that's actually guarding LeBron or Anthony Davis, and therefore, Dan will steal a couple, but Lakers in six. Yeah, some might look at this matchup and say, wow, the Blazers have a phenomenal offense, and the Lakers can't score. The Blazers are going to beat them. And I know that's those people are in the minority, and I completely disagree with them, but I, I understand and I see the merit behind their argument. The problem with that is that that's not necessarily going to be the case in the playoffs because the Lakers have a phenomenal defense who is definitely going to slow down the Blazers at least somewhat. And yeah, Dame might still put up 40 or 50 in some games, but the Blazers aren't going to be getting those easy shots in the paint, those Nurkic shots. Nurkic is not going to put up 20, 20, and 6. He put up 22 points, 21 rebounds, 6 assists today. He's not going to do that against the Lakers. (laughs) And like you said, Gary Trent... Junior has been great, and I watched him at Duke, and he, was, he wasn't he was actually that good at Duke. He looked like he was still more of a project, and the Blazers really have gotten everything out of him that they could ask for. And Melo looks really good, but yeah, who's going to cover LeBron? Because Gary Trent Jr. is too small, and he's been guarding a lot of the best players. And who's going to guard Anthony Davis? Nurkic has been getting in foul trouble against Grayson Allen. So who is going to be guarding them? I don't know. And this is the series that gets the Lakers offense back on track because the Blazers can't guard anybody. And the Lakers three-point shooting the last two games has actually been really good. So I know it's a small sample size, 
but the Blazers are going to help the Lakers get back on track. I have the Lakers in five. I think Dame takes one game, but playoff LeBron, he's going to be better than bubble LeBron and Anthony Davis. The Blazers cannot do what the Raptors and some other teams did by doubling him. They just don't have the defensive potential. I think both of those guys, AD and LeBron, have phenomenal series. I say the Lakers in five. If I were the Portland Trailblazers, I would try to get the Lakers to shoot as many threes as possible. I would pack the paint, and even if it's guys like Dion taking wide open threes, I think you just live with the results of that. You got a triple team Anthony Davis inside. You got a formal wall on LeBron, and you let other guys beat you. It's always easier said than done because guys have tendencies to, you know, run out to shooters and stuff. And like LeBron is LeBron. He's going to get his same with AD. I, I honestly would just die by the Dion Waiters three point shot, because if that's how you're going to go out in a seven game series, then like props to Dion. I don't think the Lakers shooters can carry the Lakers very far. I think you're going to start seeing teams implement the strategy that I just suggested. And I don't know. I Yes, the Lakers have two top five players on offense or just top five players in general. But like when you're looking at their offense, those guys have struggled in the bubble. And when you get good coaches like Nick Nurse, Terry Stotts is a good coach as well, forming these defensive strategies like like there, there are ways to significantly hinder the effect that both of those players can have on a game. A hundred percent. I can see them implementing a strategy like that another problem my my last thought on the lakers is lebron specifically but some other lakers too he has a huge speed mismatch in this series mellow zach collins who got banged up hopefully he's fine nurkic Whiteside. these guys are slow the lakers are going to take advantage on the fast break off missed shots because they have a very good defense and that's going to be a key in the series but let's move on I had the Lakers in five. You had the Lakers in six. Let's move on to the Clippers-Mavericks. We have a lot of star power in this series. We have Kawhi and Paul George, and we have Luka Doncic, who's been incredible, and Chris Stops Porzingis, who has been one of these surprises in the bubble as well. Yeah, I, I would say one of the most underwhelming teams in the bubble so far has been the Dallas Mavericks. And like I said before, you can't take everything in the bubble too seriously. People weren't playing their guys. But even when Luka and Porzingis were on the court, they played a ton of close games. They had a big win over the Bucks, but they also lost some serious, serious rough ones against the likes of like the Suns, uh, who, yes, went 8-0, but like that was at the beginning when they weren't on a roll yet, and the Mavericks were coming in potentially to be able to get out of the Clippers' first-round matchup. And they just flunked their way basically <laughs> out of that possibility. Yeah. It was completely their fault. And I, I don't know. That really changed my opinion on them. I had Clippers in five when we did our playoff predictions a couple of months ago. I'm changing it to a sweep because of defense. Yes, the Mavericks have one of the you know most efficient offenses of all time, blah, blah, blah. But when it comes down to it, the Clippers have sick defensive personnel. And when you're putting Kawhi on Luka and PG on Seth Curry, not allowing him to, you know, run around <laughs> screens, and, you know, like, <laughs> like they have a lot of good shooters, a lot of good offensive players. None of them can play defense. Chris Tapps is not a defensive anchor. And I just think the Clippers are really going to have their way with the Mavericks. 
I don't I don't disagree with with the vast majority of your argument and the Mavericks defense is bad and they haven't been the best terrible the terrible even even though the Mavericks stars are playing incredible they haven't been great in the bubble this is a series I initially had Clippers in 6 like you I'm going to deduct one game I have the Clippers in 5 I could really see this being a series where Montrezl Harrell's coming back he hasn't played yet yes the Clippers their team looks good but I could see the Clippers coming out a little bit lackadaisical and not being elite Clippers in the first game. I would not be surprised if the Mavericks steal game one and then the Clippers sweep them after that, winning four straight. I have the Clippers in five, however it's going to happen. The Mavericks simply don't have the defensive abilities to keep up with the Clippers in a close game. I do envision the Mavericks having one really hot shooting game that might move this to five. And I don't necessarily see that fear factor that I did when I had the Clippers in six and had them not really as a potential upset, but as a series that's going to be harder than expected. I no longer see that. Luka is unbelievable, and he could definitely carry them to a win. Clippers in five. Yeah, it's it's not going to be a long series. The Clippers are too OP. So Nuggets-Jazz, this is an interesting series because... We both said the Jazz were not going to be good in the bubble, and they have exceeded both of our expectations, so we're going to give a small apology to Utah. They look good, and they lost Bogdanovich, which is their second-leading scorer, which is a big loss, but Mike Conley has stepped up, and Joe Ingles has looked good, and Royce O'Neal stepped up, and Rudy Gobert looks very solid. So this is a team that's playing well. So what do you have in the Nuggets-Jazz series? I actually, as, as much as we would like to apologize to Utah, I still think that the Nuggets have shown that they have some serious elite talent with Porter Jr. stepping up big and Jokic just being his consistent, you know, 27 and 7 self. I don't see the series going very long. Donovan Mitchell is just absurd. His ability to create his own shot, get to the hole, take step back threes, like he has the whole offensive package. And he does it in such a agile, like explosive way. It, he is by far one of the most impressive young guys coming up in the league. But the rest of the Jazz roster without Bogdanovich doesn't inspire me. A guy like Jordan Clarkson can go six for eight from three in one game and then two for 14 from the field in the next game. <laughs> and I would push towards the two for 14 in the playoffs where. I just don't see him like stepping up when they really need him to. And I mean, Mike Conley has been better. If he can return to his grizzly self, the Jazz's ceiling raises a lot, and I would push this series to actually six or seven. But I think the Nuggets just have a very deep, very versatile roster who maybe isn't the best on defense, but can definitely deal with the Jazz pretty easily. Nuggets in five. I disagree. Mainly on the fact that, let's remember, the Nuggets are going to be implementing some some previously injured pieces into this rotation. And guys like Jamal Murray and Will Barton when he comes back, and if Gary Harris comes back, they're not going to be 100% in playing great basketball. That combined with the fact that the Denver Nuggets absolutely love playing in Game 7s for whatever reason, makes me say this series goes 7. The Nuggets do look really good. Jokic is the best big man in basketball best center in basketball, excuse me. Anthony Davis is the best big man in basketball. 
Giannis is the best big man in basketball. I don't even consider Giannis a big man. Giannis <laughs> is just uh, a unicorn. But yes, Giannis would be the best big man in basketball. Uh, but no, the the Nuggets look really good. Michael Porter Jr. is playing elite, elite basketball. And a lot of these pieces are really good, and they have a deep team. The Utah Jazz, though, have a lot of experience. And Donovan Mitchell has been there a couple times, and he had, he's a great player, as you said. Mike Conley has been a lot better than I expected him to be. Ingles is solid. O'Neal's solid. They do what they're supposed to do. And Rudy Gobert is a tough matchup for Jokic. He plays him well. Gobert is a lot stronger and more aggressive, and that is a problem for Jokic at times. Jokic is still going to get his points, but this is one of the worst center matchups for him in the league. So I have the Nuggets winning a Game 7. I don't even know if the Game 7 will be close because I think the Denver Nuggets are the clearly better team and deeper team. But with the injuries and everybody coming back, I see this going 7. So Nuggets and 7 for me. I would like to acknowledge that just as Gobert may be a physical mismatch for Jokic, Jokic is a talent mismatch for Gobert because his ability to stretch the floor and make passes from the top of the key if Gobert doesn't step up is a serious problem for the Jazz because if he's not near the rim, they're in deep trouble. And I don't think Jokic allows him to be near the rim. So watch out for that because that that's a serious changer. And like I said, it could cause this series to end pretty quickly. And let's move on to the best first-round matchup. I don't even think it's close. Rockets-Thunder. We have the best storyline of the first round. As great as the Blazers are, I'm sorry, but Chris Paul against who is to eventually come back, Russell Westbrook after hopefully just a couple games, is just such a great storyline. The Rockets traded away Chris Paul to win a title and now have to beat him to get to the second round. What do you got here? I started with Rockets in seven, and then I took it down a game to Rockets in six. I think the biggest thing here for me is that OKC has been a magical story the whole year. They weren't predicted. I think they were giving a, they were given a 0.2% chance to even make the playoffs at the beginning of the year. And they've come all the way to be ahead of, in standings, the team that they made the big trade with this offseason, which is pretty remarkable. I don't think that Cinderella story is going to carry over to the second round. Playing the Rockets, as as fun as people make of like D'Antoni's strategy and coaching and James Harden in general, like I think their threes strategy is going to be a problem for the thunder who are not efficient in their or i shouldn't say efficient but they're not a high volume three-point shooting team and they're not a high volume points in the paint team they shoot a lot of mid-range shots and when you're trading those twos for the rockets threes i don't think it's necessarily a recipe for victory for the thunder in a long series yeah, and by the way, I'll point out, the Rockets and Thunder have the same record, and the Rockets have the tiebreaker, so they are technically the four seed. But this is such a close series for me, especially with Westbrook out a game or two. Obviously, that hurts the Rockets, because now they don't have a second guy to turn to if Harden's sitting and resting. Although James Harden is good enough to split the first two games by himself without yes, Westbrook. I agree. I have the Rockets in seven. 
The Thunder, like you said, don't shoot that many threes, and they're they're naturally they're a bigger team. They definitely have a lot of versatility, but Gallinari and Steven Adams are are slow. And while they are going to abuse the Rockets on the glass, it's going to be a problem with this Rockets five out, everybody shoot three strategy. And I think this is going to be a super close back and forth series. Maybe one team starts up 1-0, switches to 2-1 for the other team, back to 3-2. I don't know. But I have the Rockets in seven. I trust James Harden more. Everybody loves this James Harden is a choker narrative. That died years ago. He's been a really good playoff performer since then. And he desperately needs this series. I think it's going to be really close. I have the Rockets in a tight game seven. Yeah, Chris Paul definitely has the ability to will the Thunder to some victories. And Shea Gilgis-Alexander should not be discounted. His ability to create especially mid-range shots, but take guys off the dribble and make fantastic passes out of the paint. Uh, It it shouldn't be ignored, but... uh, James Harden and Russell Westbrook are two top 15 players and the Thunder don't have a single top 15 player. And right. that is what that series will come down to, in my opinion. And and normally, without really looking at this Thunder rotation, I, I would have said Rockets in five or six, but they have guys like Andre Roberson and Dort who are flexible and can switch. And this Thunder team, outside of Gallinari and Steven Adams, is is pretty athletic. So... They're not going to be, they're not the worst matchup for the Rockets, as in the Rockets taking the most advantage. I, I think it's, I think they play them better than most people think. And yeah, this is, this is going to be tough. But like I said, in the end, Shea doesn't have the experience yet. And while that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to choke, I definitely trust Westbrook and Harden at the end of games more than I trust Chris Paul and Shea. Right. That being said, Chris Paul has been the most clutch player in basketball this year. Statistically, doesn't matter though. Yeah, I was gonna say. Let me revise my statement. I when I say the Thunder don't have a top fifteen player, Chris Paul is borderline top fifteen this year with people injured. You know, Steph, KD, and and you know, Clay. It's yeah. debatably around where Chris Paul is, but. I, Russell Westbrook is better than Chris Paul at this point. He is not more clutch by any means, but Westbrook's averages over the year and just like his con- continuing athletic ability, it's the reason the Rockets had to give up assets to get him, not the other way around. So, you know, Westbrook's athleticism is still far superior to Chris Paul's. And I, I think when you're looking at Westbrook and Harden, that dynamic duo is just, uh, it's a lot for the Thunder to, to manage. Right. And let's move on to the second round. We both have the Lakers and the Rockets. Who do you have? This is going to shock some people. I got Rockets in seven. Now, <laughs> this is similar to like my Heat in seven prediction. Wow. You know, like the, the Lakers and the Bucks, they're the top seeds. And normally in regular years, the the talent wins out, right? Like the best players win. This is a weird year. It's a whole new game, as the NBA says. And I don't know, just the Lakers have not looked right. LeBron hasn't looked right. Anthony Davis hasn't even looked right. He's scored single digits in two games during the bubble season, which probably hasn't happened to him since like, I don't even know if it's ever happened to him before. So... I don't know. I just something's telling me James Harden 
needs this for his legacy. And with Russell Westbrook by his side, they can get past this poor shooting Lakers team. That's the thing. The Lakers, I don't care what their percentages are in any games. In the end, I'm giving up threes to KCP, Dion, even JR at this point. And I'm not feeling terrible about myself. Like on those LeBron driving kicks, it's just, you got to live with it. And the Rockets, on the other hand, have tons of guys that can knock down threes, especially from the corners. And despite the Lakers' defensive you know, efficiency, I just don't think that they're going to be able to keep up with the Rockets in a series. It hinges on LeBron. You know, we'll see. Of course. And the whole the whole playoffs, East-West, finals, everything hinges on LeBron. If LeBron's classic LeBron, they probably win the title. So I, I have the Lakers beating the Rockets in six. Somehow the Lakers have gone up against maybe two of the worst interior defenses in the Western Conference. And yes, the Rockets are going to try to force the Lakers to kick it out and shoot threes. The problem with that is that it's still LeBron and Anthony Davis, and they're going to take these shots, even if they're double teamed, because they're going to get fouls. P.J. Tucker and Robert, Co- Robert Covington are not going to get the foul calls in their way, and that's going to be a problem. Yes, the now, Rockets can shoot a lot of threes. Can we just discuss the fact that when you say they're going against two of the worst interior defenses, they're also going against the two best backcourts in the entire NBA. Right. So when you're looking at like why they have such bad defenses, it's because their cap is distributed to their back. Absolutely. And those guys can shoot till day's end. And I am not doubting at all the Rockets' offensive abilities. But once again, the Lakers do have a very good defense. And when things slow down in the playoffs, the Lakers are going to be perfectly comfortable giving up a quick three to the Rockets to set up their offense. And all I don't I'll think say, that's going to kill them. Losing Avery Bradley in this series is pretty enormous in my opinion. I agree. It's big. It's big. He would have been the best guard defender. And they're going to struggle finding out who should guard who. And yes, Danny Green will get his turn. But in the end, I think they might end up putting LeBron and James Harden close games. And I I still trust LeBron as a defender when he locks it in. I, I am, yes. That's a lot to ask for from old LeBron. I, I trust him more than other guys in the Lakers, and I think like he I know he, he got a couple great defensive stops earlier in the bubble season against Kawhi, Paul George, whatever. James Harden is a different animal even than those guys, just based on his ball handling ability. I mean, LeBron, <laughs> that's a tough matchup for him. It's a tough matchup for everybody, but I, exactly. I like my chances. Exactly, I, I have the Lakers in six. The Rockets have a lot of firepower. I don't necessarily trust their shooters though. Yeah, I, if the game slows down, the Lakers' size advantage, I think, is too much given the talent of Anthony Davis and the talent of LeBron. So, we have Clippers-Nuggets, both of us. What's your prediction in this series? Who do you who do you think's winning this one? Clippers in five. Jokic isn't the best matchup for them because they don't have a big man who's particularly good on defense. So, Jokic definitely will have some takeover moments in this series. But the Nuggets also have a terrible defensive unit, and especially on the perimeter. I don't know. I don't know who guards Kawhi and Paul George and Lou Williams. It, that's not going to be a pretty sight from a Nuggets fan. <laughs> no, and and even though the Nuggets did impress me against the Clippers, the last their second to last bubble game, that's without Montrezl Harrell, the Clippers' best big man. 
So, yes, the Clippers have not been at full strength. Everybody seems to forget that, and they still have looked like probably one of two, if not probably just the best team. I'll just say it. They've looked like yep. the best team without him. So, yes, getting Harrell back is going to be huge. I like the Nuggets with some mismatches in the series to give the Clippers a harder time than they'd expect. I think the Nuggets are a deep team. They're a physical team. They're a big team. And a guy like Lou Will, when he's being guarded by a bigger guy, isn't going to have the easiest time. And Michael Porter Jr.'s defense has looked especially good in the bubble. Jokic, yes, he can't really guard. But Paul Millsap, as we both know, is a very versatile defender. I think the Nuggets take two games. I said the Clippers in six. The Nuggets are a good team. They fight. They scrap. And I think the second round will give them some time to get their their guys coming off injury back in some basketball shape. I think Jamal Murray is going to look good by this time. And yes, Patrick Beverly on Jamal Murray is a win for the Clippers. But I, I like the Nuggets to take two games. I have the Clippers in six. I will say, like, I wouldn't be surprised if the Nuggets prove this year that they're real contenders next year. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if they show that they're one piece away by taking the Clippers to a long series and then adding a guy like Drew Holiday over the offseason and suddenly becoming a Western Conference title favorite. Like, it's very possible that we are undervaluing Jokic even now and that he shows the potential to be the best player on a championship team. I don't think they'll actually get past the Clippers this year, but your prediction is understandable. I I still have Clippers in five, but if it went long, I'd be pretty excited for the Nuggets. Absolutely. So now the series we have all been waiting for, we have the Lakers against the Clippers, the Battle of LA, LeBron versus Kawhi. I think we're both on the same page here, but go ahead. You wish I had that matchup. You know I got the Rockets versus the Clippers. Oh, wow. I forgot about that. Oh, God. Ah, That's just so wrong. Not only do I have Rockets Clippers, I have Clippers in seven. I think James Harden's coming for it this year, bro. Like, we talk about him. We're always like, yeah, he doesn't have what it takes, whatever. This is his legacy year. This is his year to win. If he doesn't win... I wouldn't be surprised if Harden and Westbrook get split up. And I wouldn't even be that surprised if James Harden like got traded from the Rockets. Like I'm not trying to put that out there as like a real possibility. All I'm saying is like the Rockets could rebuild after this year if they just decide they're done with the Harden ISO style of basketball and that it can't win a championship. I think no he way. needs <laughs> he needs this. Like he needs this to prove that he is on the level of Dwayne Wade and Allen Iverson and those guys. You know who needs it as much as James Harden, though? LeBron James. I, I, I disagree. I, I like a lot. LeBron needs this, sure, but James Harden doesn't have one yet. If he goes his whole playing career without a championship, that's going to be rough for him because he's going to have some of the most ridiculous statistics we've ever seen. But like we see with a lot of guys that never win a championship, your all-time ranking suffers significantly. So James is going to be coming hard for this thing, and people do not expect that from him because he's not that intense of a guy. But I don't know, bro. I could see them pushing the Clippers hard too. Okay, that's that's fair. Seven, Clippers are winning the series. Clippers are winning the series. I think Kawhi seven's Le- a stretch, but six would not surprise me if this was the matchup. 
Kawhi Leonard's the best player on the planet right now. He is going to win the finals. He's going to will that Clippers team to the finals and to the championship. But James Harden has a strong will of his own. So, And let me try again my little introduction. The moment we've all been waiting for, the Battle of L.A., LeBron versus Kawhi. <laughs> I have the Lakers versus the Clippers. I just don't see a way for the Lakers to win this series. They can't. Well, actually, I, I do see a way. The way I see it is 2018 LeBron, where he put up a 50-point triple-double. We need that best version of LeBron to show here. And I'll tell you what. I said this responding to a couple of people on social media. LeBron James, for the first time in his career, looks like he's a step slower and slightly less athletic. I've seen him get blocked by some no-name bigs. I've I've seen him look a little gassed, like, this, this LeBron, I mean, he's still elite, elite, elite. Don't get me wrong. And I am a huge LeBron fan. But he just doesn't look the same as he did even in 2018 with the Cavs. And that's going to cost him because that little step makes him, from what I think, to be the best player to behind Kawhi. I agree with you. I think Kawhi is the best player. And let's talk outside of LeBron. Anthony Davis is a horrible, 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 horrible matchup for the Clippers. He's going to get the Clippers in foul trouble. He's going to score a lot. But the Clippers have a very deep team, a team with a lot of scorers. Marcus Morris, who we don't even think about, averaged, what, 18 points on the Knicks? They have Harrell. They have Lou Will, two of the top three sixth-man contenders. And they have Paul George, who's still a top 12, top 13 player when he's balling. And he is balling right now. So this Clippers team is deep. They have guys like Patrick Beverly, who are gritty. Jermichael Green looks really good. Reggie Jackson's been good for them. They're a deep team. They're going to win the series. The Lakers guys like Deion Waiters and J.R. Smith don't compare to the Clippers rotation. I don't think the Clippers take this too easily, but I also don't think the Lakers make them really sweat. I have the Clippers in six. I don't think the Clippers ever trail in this series. I agree. And, uh, you know, if this series comes to pass, I would look at Kyle Kuzma as being the scapegoat in this series. I don't know why. I just don't think that he's going to succeed against the likes of Kawhi, Paul George, like even their like secondary rotation, like fours, like Jamichael Green and stuff. I just don't see him ball in this series. And I think Lakers fans are going to hate him by the end of this year, no matter what happens. It's very possible, unless he hits some more game winners like he did in the last game. Boy, the Lakers needed that, even though it didn't matter at all. They needed that game. Was it against the Nuggets? Yes, against the Nuggets third stringers, yes. They needed that. I know it's against the third stringers. That was a big shot. So I have the Clippers in six, and that sets up our different finals matchups. So you have the Miami Heat against the Los Angeles Clippers. What's your prediction there? Last time when we did our playoff predictions, I said Clippers in four, and I heard some feedback that said, well, if you have the Heat going all the way to the finals and getting swept, they don't deserve to be there. And I would now like to say that I think they will get a game off because I think they've proven with Iguodala and Jay Crowder in the rotation, they have more perimeter defenders than they had since Justice Winslow was hurt before. And you had like Kendrick Nunn and Tyler Hero having to guard like Harden or Westbrook or whatever, like those kinds of players. Now you got some big bodied, versatile guys that have quick hands to stick on Paul George and Kawhi, give Jimmy Butler a little rest. I do think the Heat steal a game. And I, I don't know, like 
they're not winning against the Clippers by any means. The Clippers are winning this championship, but the Heat should not be underestimated. They got shooters. Yeah, I have the Clippers and the Celtics in the finals. And strangely enough, Boston matches up decently well against the Clippers in that neither neither of these teams really would have to worry about this interior presence on offense that they can't stop. So you would think that, oh, maybe the, the Celtics match up well and they could take a couple of games. I think this just bodes even more so in the favor of the Clippers. I mean, you just have better players at these positions. Kawhi and Paul George are just going to outplay Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. And the Celtics have a lot of firepower. So do the Clippers. Both teams are disciplined. They play good defense. They play good offense. I think both of them are in the top five or seven in both offensive and defensive categories for good reason. These are very good teams. That's why I have them in the finals. I have the Clippers in five. Kawhi at this point in the finals is going to be Kawhi. And I think we both have Kawhi winning finals MVP. Correct. When the Clippers win, unless Paul George really just drops eight threes a game, which I'm not nope. doubting. He looks great. Sure, but, but Kawhi's winning finals MVP. Right, he has the defensive presence, and Kawhi is a bad matchup for Jason Tatum. He's a bad matchup for anybody. And Tatum, in every other series I had him predicted, the Celtics going, I, I had Tatum hitting these clutch shots at the end, but I just don't see a way for him to outplay Kawhi at the end of games. Simply, I, frankly, I don't, have, I don't see anybody outplaying Kawhi unless it's 2018 LeBron. So I have the Clippers in five. I think it's a relatively easy series. But the Clippers, the Celtics are going to play them tough. They're going to be close games. And this is a really good, if the Celtics get this far, this is really good experience for them in the future because Tatum by next year might be a top 10 player and maybe in a couple of years he'll be a top five player. So this is a great series for the Celtics to learn from. I don't think they really have a chance. I think this is the Clippers championship all the way through. I have Kawhi Leonard as the Finals MVP, so there we go. We both have the LA Clippers winning the NBA Finals this year. Yes, we do. And let's move on to our final segment. Our Towel Boy Take of the Day is going to be in a slightly different form. We are going to talk about who we think is the biggest bust of the NBA playoffs. Bust not necessarily in the worst player, but in the, le- in the most disappointing category. So, Landon, who do you have? Uh, you should know who I have. I got... I got Spicy P here, Pascal Siakam. I read through some of his stats against some elite teams that he will be seeing in the playoffs earlier, and they are pretty garbage. I do not think he's going to be the reason for the Raptors' success, assuming the Raptors have success, which I think they will. It's going to be because they have an unbelievable coach, unbelievable defensive schemes and personnel, and their guards are and Lowry and Van Vliet are one of the better backcourts in the league. Pascal is raw. I don't think he dribbles very well. I don't think he shoots very well. I think he's best when he's attacking the basket. And people can even take him out of that by putting a big, like, rangy defender on him. So I would expect, now that he's a number one option... Don't be surprised if you get a couple more five for 17 games out of him in big moments. It's very valid. I I can't necessarily disagree. I think Siakam's going to only grow from here. And and last playoffs showed that he can be clutch. I'm not as down on him as you are. As a number two. I'm not as down on him as you are, but 
he's not going to be shooting above 50% in most of these series. Yes, in the Nets, he might, because he might be able to get to the rim at ease. But the rest of them, yeah, I, I generally dis- I generally agree with you. My my biggest disappointment isn't because this player is bad. Do not get me wrong. This is an offensive weapon. But the way he's been used and how he's coming back from injury, and I know they're my finals team, one of my finals teams, but Kemba Walker scares me because outside of the Sixers series where he has a good matchup against a guy like Shake Milton, if he's guarding him, I mean, they still have Jay Rich who they'd put on him. So it's not even that great of a matchup now that I think about it. So he would go through Jay Rich. He would go through Van Fleet, Van Vliet and Lowry, who are very good defenders. Then he would go through the Bucks in my my scenario, which is Eric Bledsoe, who's an all-NBA level defender. And then he has Patrick Beverly. So it doesn't get easy for Kemba. And that's a really tough slate of defenders for him offensively. And he's still trying to get back from injury. Plus, let's look at the fact that he can't really defend and he's going to be picked on in a lot of these games. I'm worried for Kemba Walker. I don't even know if he's going to be in the game with a minute left. They might have Marcus Smart instead of him along with Brown, Hayward, Tatum, and Tice. So Kemba scares me a lot. I think he'll still be dominant offensively at times, but I don't think it's going to be in the manner that we've seen in the past on his Hornet days. He's going to be a third or a fourth option on this team throughout the playoffs. And keep in mind, his knee has been seriously hurting him. And people were scared he wasn't even going to play in the playoffs. I mean, it seems like a serious injury. And when you're playing against guys, like you said, Lowry and Van Vliet are great examples of like guys that are quick enough to stay with him and solid enough to kind of body him. Uh, I, I don't know how well he'll perform, like you're saying. Luckily, he has other guys to carry the offensive burden, at least from a scoring perspective. And maybe you you might see Kemba shift to more of a distributor role in this year's playoffs. Absolutely. That wraps it up for me. You have anything else? I think I'm good. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening to our 13th podcast where we broke down all of our NBA predictions for the bracket. And let's just recap. We both have the LA Clippers winning the championship. A lot of the people who voted on our polls said no to the Clippers winning the title, and and we both firmly disagree. We think they have the best chance, and frankly, it's not close. So we have the Clippers. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, Make sure to respond to us all the time at the Towel Boys on both Instagram and Twitter. Keep checking out and, and waiting for our next podcast to drop. It'll be pretty soon. And yeah, thanks again. Always remember to embrace your inner towel, boy.